you don't get a pass on math just because of where you live. They don't, you know, we don't look down, the math doesn't look down at your zip code and go, oh, it's perfectly okay for you to have a house payment that's 70% of your, uh, of your income and you're not going to go bankrupt. Of course you're going to go bankrupt. <laughs> you're going to mess yourself up. You're going to, it's going to take a decade to recover from this peer pressure induced purchase that it, the math says no to. And so you just have to have the wisdom and the maturity to walk within the math, within your guidelines, and uh, within your constraints, the constraints you've chosen into your life and that, that you, your faith has led you to. We actually did it. Kosher Money interviewed Dave Ramsey at his impressive headquarters in Franklin, Tennessee, and we asked America's most famous personal finance expert questions, frankly, he's never been asked before. What do we mean by that? Let's take a step back. Dave has been helping people pay off debt, achieve financial freedom for over 25 years. And he's helped millions of Americans and people across the world achieve financial freedom through his books, his courses, his very popular radio show. He has a YouTube channel. He's big time. And the core of his strategy is a seven-step plan, right? He calls them the baby steps. What are they? Let's walk through them. We're going to even, for those watching on YouTube, present them in a screen for you to look at. Okay, step one, you save $1,000 for a starter emergency fund. Step two, you pay off your debt, except your house, using the debt snowball method. Three, save three to six months of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. Four, invest 15% of your household income into retirement. Step five, save for your children's college funds. Step six, pay off your home early. And step seven, my favorite, build wealth and give generously. Easier said than done, perhaps, but it's helped millions of households get through the shackles of debt, break free, and achieve real financial freedom. So that said, how would the baby steps look if we were to look at it through an Orthodox Jewish lens? Would we change up some of the baby steps? What's Dave's advice for a family out in Queens that's struggling in an apartment, their family's growing, and they want to buy a home, but they just can't afford it? We asked him uniquely Jewish questions, questions that impact the Jewish family that we wanted answers to. So together with Zevi Wallman and my brother Yaakov, we traveled down to Nashville, Tennessee, made the trek into Franklin, and without further ado, we give you the great Dave Ramsey. And oh, by the way, if you have questions, follow-up questions, thoughts, comments during this episode, hit the YouTube comments, leave them for us, and who knows, maybe we'll be invited back for a round two. And now I give you Dave Ramsey. Being a Jew? Awesome. Managing personal finances? Not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. Welcome to a special episode of Kosher Money. We're coming to you from the headquarters of Ramsey Solutions, where, I don't know, we have Dave Ramsey in the house. Wow. Kind of <laughs> pinching myself. Uh, Dave, you nervous at all? I'm scared to death. <laughs> I hope you all can get me through it. We'll we're try. Gonna, we're going to work on this. We're here to talk about money. Obviously, we come from the Orthodox Jewish circles, and there are nuances and specifics related to that. And I'm here with Zevi Wallman. And Zevi, I want to sort of brief the audience in, in terms of what exactly those nuances are and why we're here sitting with Dave Ramsey today. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I want to add my own thanks. I think, you know, we need to thank you also for Kosher Money's existence. 
um, in so many ways, you know, a lot, both us as well as a lot of our listeners in the Orthodox Jewish community are fans of Ramsey and have uh, Ramsey, the podcast, and have incorporated so many of the lessons that you've taught into their lives. And the questions that they had really were, well, how do we do that in sort of an Orthodox Jewish context? When you talk about real estate, uh, you know, we have to live within walking distance of our synagogues, right? We send our children for the most part overwhelmingly to private schools where tuitions go you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year. Cost of kosher food, cost of making weddings, etc. It's an overwhelming cost. We always say that for most families, you have to be in the top two to three percent of income earners in America just to make ends meet. Forget, forget savings. You know, so from our perspective, what we would, what we get the question all the time, and what we'd love to hear from you is, you know, knowing all of that and knowing that your baby steps are so crucial to you know what you instruct your listeners to do. How would you think about sort of from a from a macro perspective and then we've got some you know detail questions how do you think about how to incorporate your baby steps for people whose lifestyle is you know quite a bit different infrastructurally yeah the good news is is that um the portions of my christian faith and orthodox jewish faith that overlap uh obviously what i call the old testament what you call the bible or the talmud right um you know there, there are principles in there for handling money that we would definitely be in solid agreement are the truth. Yes. And uh, it, to the extent you come perpendicular with those principles, you're going to have pain and problems. Uh, to the extent you align yourself with what's known as the truth, life's going to be better. You know, and that's true in the money area. It's true in your relationships. It's true in, you know, and if we just lived in the book of wisdom alone in Proverbs uh, over and over and over again, and I, I tell Christians, Jewish anyone that will listen to me, if you read Proverbs over and over and over again, you'll have a master's degree in finance. You know, it's in there. Um, and so that's how we backed into anything we teach at Ramsey, is we're looking at, okay, here's a, a biblical principle for handling money. Uh, for instance, off subject to what you're asking about, but just as an example, uh, Ecclesiastes, all right? Spread your portions to seven, yes to eight, for disaster may come upon the land. So diversification what modern financial planners would call diversification was, you know, spoken by Solomon in Ecclesiastes, that positive thinking book. You know, I mean, it was really kind of a downer. But, the, uh, but you know, so it, it's there. The principle is there. Now, if you want to go perpendicular to that, when disaster comes upon the land, and you can define disaster however much drama you want to, whether it's just simple inflation like we're fighting right now or whether it's catastrophic something, you'll be glad you were diversified. So, all of that to say, staying out of debt, the borrower slave to the lender, living on less than you make, um, a foolish man devours all he has. These are all things that we share in common in our faith walk. Those principles, to the extent you violate them, whatever your reasoning, whatever the uh, situation you find yourself in, uh, whatever you're having to do to uh, remain kosher, Food, schools, synagogue, you know, walking, sure. uh, you know, uh, observing Sabbath properly, the, all of those things. Um, but any of those things that force you to vi or, or you feel like are giving you permission to or forcing you to violate those principles of I've got to go in debt. Well, then you're running perpendicular to what uh, our provider tells us to do. And, and so I, I just throw my answer back to that. And, um, you know, I, I got in with a bunch of uh, Christian financial planners one time, in quotes, right? 
And the guy's like, well, you've got to, you know, you, you have to, I, you know, everyone knows that you've got to go into debt. I mean, there's good debt, Dave. And I said, well, yeah, if you wanted to study that from an academic perspective, but if we want to study it from a biblical perspective, you're going to have trouble proving that one. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we get in, what, what, are, what basis are we going to make the argument on? And so what basis are you going to make your decisions on, uh, given the constraints, given the, the pinch that you find yourself in, to, to be observant, um, uh, but you still got to not violate the principles. You don't get a pass on math. No, I love that. So let me ask you this. Do you, would you find any bend in the principle? I'll give you an example. You talk about the importance of a 15-year versus a 30-year mortgage, mm-hmm. right? For most of us, the thought of a 15-year mortgage is really daunting because, you know, adding to our cost of living a 15-year mm-hmm. mortgage is really tough. Would you sort of allow for any bend in your traditional principles the way you outline them for, you know, for special circumstances? Well, the difference in a 15 and a 30 <clears throat> is not a biblical argument. The reason for the 15 is to go to the no debt right. position. The fact, you know, obviously we're going to get out of debt 15 years faster at a minimum. Um, and so getting house and everything paid off is the goal, to be 100% debt-free because the borrower is truly slave to the lender. A foolish man does devour all he has. We can, you know, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. So you're going to be able to save because you've got margin. You're going to be able to invest because you've got margin if you clean out the debt. But if you, the more you give yourself permission to uh, let the American culture teach you theology the, in your finances, the more trouble you're going to get in. So I don't care if you want to take out a 30. It's okay with me. I'm just saying that the more, the faster, I don't borrow money at all for any reason ever. Excellent. Because I, after going broke, I just drew a line saying, I don't need anything bad enough to ever be back in that trap again, period. I mean, we'll be renting the building. We'll be renting a house. We're not going to borrow money ever again. Save up until we do. So I'm I'm going to 100% be legalistic and follow that guideline. But, you know, I just tell people, if you're going to take out a mortgage, take out a 15, and then get the thing paid off in seven. You know, if you're going to take out a 30, pay it off in seven. I don't care. But the, I, the goal is not 30 or 15. The goal is 100% paid off as fast as possible because that sets you free. Your heart will change. The shape of your countenance will change when you don't have a house payment anymore, you know, because you're not a slave anymore. No, and I, I really love that. And I think that that's, you know, something that, you know, it's funny because in our community, the other thing that people do, and I think with all of the best intentions, is we put a lot of money on credit cards and pay them off at the end of every month. We're not talking about, you know, the 18 and 25% API. We're talking about paying off credit cards. But then if you listen to your show, and you hear how passionately you talk about, from a global perspective, the importance from a mental health perspective of being debt-free. Right. And it's just like, it's a game changer because we just don't think like that. We think, well, we're going to get points and we're going to, you know, take airline trips. Well, and that's not unique to your community. I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> right. everybody in America makes that right. argument, yeah. you know, and really around the world, Australians <laughs> make that argument. So it's, uh, I mean, uh, we find our Muslim brothers and sisters, we find anybody, but that that's... Uh, and people that don't have any faith at all, you know, just go, yeah, I want the airline miles. And Dave, you're stupid, you know. And so, um, yeah, we get that. Uh, but, but again, it's as far as I'm concerned, those credit cards, because I've done coaching for 30 years with people who it went sideways on, um, I mean, you can play with snakes. Uh, and some people don't get bit. But the snakes bite, and uh, a lot of people get bit. And so why play with snakes? That's I use a debit card, uh, and it pays off everything. 
automatically because you can't use it unless there's money in your account. <laughs> and if you're going to pay it off at the end of the month anyway, it's the same thing. So really all we're arguing about then is airline miles, which we've not got any data that indicates that any millionaires became millionaires because of their airline miles. Excellent. I want to talk practically, right? Think about a family of four or five Orthodox Jews in Queens. They're in an apartment, and now they're thinking about home buying, right? They're bringing in a, a sizable income each month. They're paying their bills currently, but for them, they're struggling between that peer pressure of, hey, all my friends are buying homes, whether it's being funded by the parents, in-laws, or good situation, versus the fact that I just don't have the income to support a monthly mortgage payment, mm -hmm. right? And and those peer pressures are exacerbated because we live in such close-knit circles, mm -hmm. right? What's your what's your advice? What's your guidance to someone or the many people listening that feel that struggle and then they have another baby on the way and that that apartment is just getting a bit tighter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um it's frustrating. It's very hard when the people you love, the people you admire, your community is um, a large portion of it's able to do something you're not able to do. Um, and Sharon and I experienced that same thing after we went broke and we made the decision we're going to live hardcore on these biblical principles. We don't borrow money. So that means we're driving a junky car while all our friends are driving good ones. But later, we were able to drive a good car because we didn't have payments and we were able to save the money. And so the, the, these biblical principles, uh, again, particularly Proverbs, none of them are short-term microwave fixes. They're all crockpots. <laughs> you know, you got to cook it a long time, right? And so uh, it, it turns out God is a whole lot more patient than we are. And uh, at least that's my perception. Um, could be because he's infinite and he's the great I am, but uh, the alpha, the beginning and the end, right? But it could be all of that. And but me, I got Friday. You know, I'm looking at Friday, and I'm looking at my buddy just moving his stuff out of the apartment over here and bought a house. Yeah, blame. I mean, this is aggravating, and so it's hard. It's a part. Uh, it's probably a part of our spiritual walk to deal with peer pressure, right? And to say, as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. As for me and my house, this is who we are. We're going to live these principles because, you know, buying a home in Queens or in any of the boroughs, you know, in the vicinity of, of New York City, uh, that's some of the most expensive real estate in the world. Hello. I mean, you just picked out the biggest math problem you could pick out, you know, and so very difficult. But uh, I often have people, regardless of the community that they're in, call and go, well, your stuff doesn't work in New York. Your stuff doesn't work in L.A. And I'm like, well, it's not my stuff. I, I just stole it from God and your grandmother. It's called common sense, you know. But here's the thing. You don't get a pass on math just because of where you live. They don't, you know, we don't look down. The math doesn't look down at your zip code and go, oh, it's perfectly okay for you to have a house payment that's 70% of your uh, of your income, and you're not going to go bankrupt. Of course, you're going to go bankrupt. You're going to mess yourself up. You're going to. It's going to take a decade to recover from this peer pressure induced purchase that it, the math says no to. And so, you just have to have the wisdom and the maturity to walk within the math, within your guidelines, and uh, 
within your constraints, the constraints you've chosen into your life and that, that you, your faith has led you to. And, um, but that's not to say it's not hard. It's hard. Oh, that's awesome. I think, you know, you, you've arguably do- dedicated a huge portion of your life to helping people with their finances. Probably one of the most impactful people in our generation to have done that. And yet, you know, you think about the hierarchy of things in life, and I think you would admit, you know, you have religion is extremely important and family is extremely important. And yet I think from what a lot of people listening to you realize is that finances have an impact on everything. It's not just, it's not in a bucket. Finances have an impact on a person's ability to lead a solid religious life or, you know, be with their family and be a good family man. Can you just talk about from the thousands, tens of thousands of people that you've counseled and coached, I know you call it now, um, you know, what is that sort of net effect of being financially, you know, sound? Yeah, I, I'm such a math nerd and a finance geek um, that when I started all of this, I thought if you fixed the numbers, everything else would fix itself. Because that's how a math nerd would come at it, right? (laughs) It's just a math problem. Solve the math and it's okay, right? And and the further I got into this and the more I started looking at it, again, through a biblical lens, um, why is God concerned about this? Enough that it's written all through Scripture 2,500 times in the Christian Bible. I, I, I don't know how many of those fall in the Talmud. But, I mean, a thousand times. Anyway, God's talking about money. Why? Why is he concerned about that? Because it's esoteric. It's not really who we are. It's not central to a person of faith. What's central is our, our walk with God, right? Our, our, and, our, and out of that, then, our families. And money's down the list somewhere on the list, as you said, in the list of priorities. But what we ended up figuring out was, and, and I, I'm, I'm presupposing maybe I know just a little bit about what God's thinking here. Maybe I'm wrong, okay? Your rabbi can correct me, and our friend the rabbi can correct me, and he might when he hears this, Rabbi Daniel. But um, the uh, 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 is he's not concerned about the money. He's concerned about our hearts, and they have to change so the money will change. Personal finance is 80% behavior. It's only 20% head knowledge. So it turns out when we get our spiritual life right and our relational life right, it impacts our money. Oh, and by the way, when we get our money right, it causes, it forces us into transformation in our marriage. So the number of times someone's getting out of debt and they tell me while they're doing their debt-free scream here, um, which we've had folks from your community right yeah. out here on the stage yes, doing right. the debt-free scream, uh, from the New York community, mm-hmm. actually, and uh, uh, several times. Uh, and the, uh, but, but, it's, it's normative. The vast majority of them say something like, oh, this impacted our marriage. Because in order to get out of debt, we had to learn to communicate better. Mm-hmm. And in order to communicate better, uh, you know, we had to sit down and set time aside to work on the things of life together and be, have a joint vision where there is no vision, the people perish, right? Where you had to have, be dialed into these things together. And as we're dialed into them together, then it increased our marriage. So what ends up happening is it's circular, uh, it turns out our health is impacted, our faith walk is impacted, our money is impacted, and it, each of these impact each other, and there's this holistic kind of view, a whole life view of it. And um, you know, and I think probably I, I got a, even a better understanding reading uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin's book, our, our, our friend, our mutual friend, uh, from what I understood from him, uh, that, that there is a a mental health, a spiritual health that is represented represented in uh, financial prosperity. 
and, and so they're they're inextricable. They're, they're more tied together in your community than they are in the segmented, compartmentalized community of the West, uh, of the American culture, as an example. And so, and it's 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 actually more art than than it is science and math. It, it's there's more spirit to it. And so these things work together. And so it's not unusual if someone loses weight when they learn how to handle money, because discipline begets discipline. Um, it's not unusual for their career to do better or for their career to do better and then they better with their money. These things, they run back and forth and it's it's very complicated, but you can't just compartmentalize it and go, oh, just money's over here. No, they, it ties to everything and, oh, marriage is over here. No, it ties to everything. Oh, my physical health's over here. No, it ties to, every, you know, these things run together in a very pretty, beautiful, holistic picture. We'll be right back to this week's episode. But first, did you know we have a new sponsor? Yup. This episode, in part, is sponsored by Infinity Land Services, title without the story. When your real estate transaction is protected through Infinity, you get meticulous coverage, clear updates, and no drama. No one likes drama. Title after title after title. That's Infinity's story. And the team at Infinity understands your ultimate goal for your real estate transaction is a smooth transition of ownership. They have a beautiful new website. I got to meet part of the team. They're amazing. And they've been doing this since 2003. They have a reputation for hands-on proactive approaches in every real estate transaction. They stay on top of every detail. They resolve issues before they become issues. No one wants to wreak havoc on a transaction. So you can close with confidence knowing that Infinity is at your side each and every time. So what is the website? Visit ilstitle.com. We're going to put their link in the show notes. ilstitle.com to learn more and reach the dedicated team at Infinity Land Services. Tell them your friends at Kosher Money sent you. And now back to this week's episode. I think when we talk about Orthodox Jews and, and the large families we have, how we educate our children as it relates to money is critical. There's a lot of family businesses. We want to give them every opportunity to succeed, but we also want to make them independent. We want to build grit within them. How do we juggle the two side by side where we're we're caring for our children, but yet we're allowing them to become independent and maybe fall on rougher times or give them the education that you really need to succeed. Now, an eagle that doesn't leave the nest is eventually known as a turkey. (laughs) So, yeah, we we have to give them the the strength of character in these different areas to uh, win out there in the big bad world, you know, I mean, in in the rough and tumble of business or career or uh, whatever. And the coddling of children, the uh, this idea that the homes become so child centric that the inmates are running the asylum mm-hmm. uh, is it, it's damaging to the kids because then they get out and they don't have the life skills. And so a friend of mine, Andy Andrews, he said, he said, don't try to raise great kids, raise kids to become great adults. Mm. What? How, how do you do that? Well, yeah, what does that yeah. mean? And so it, it's. You know, I, I make them brush their teeth so they have teeth, right? I make them study so they can pass their grades and, and they, they, you know, they develop the discipline that. I make them work and teach them work ethic. Right. Uh, age appropriately, we're not sending a two-year-old to the salt mines, but, but um, work is good. 
versus, uh, you know, nine million hours of just pleasure of, of whatever hobby you plug yourself into. Uh, but this, I, you know, when we're an agrarian culture, uh, you know, kids were on the farm, they worked. You know, and, and we've lost a lot of that in our cities and in our suburban. And because we're trying to make, you know, we had to work and it was hard on us and we don't want our children to have to endure that. Oh, they should endure that. Right. They should endure that. Now, you know, they're under our wing. We're not going to damage them. We're not going to put too much weight on them or it crushes them. Right. This is the, they don't have to carry the weight of the whole family. But you need to build the muscle of work ethic. You need to build the muscle of saving. In the house of the wise, there's choice of food. So when you're three, you need to save a little bit. When you're 15, you need to know how to do saving and investing. And mom and dad need to coach you so that when you're 25, you're not clueless, you know, and, and you need to know how to work. Actually have some grit and get, you have to finish that. You started that, you have to finish that. You signed up to keep that lady's dog. The dog's not going to be eating unless you go over there and feed the dog. So you've got to go over there and do it. Well, Daddy, I don't, I don't care. You've got to go do it. You said you are going to. This is parenting, right? Uh, we, we push them to do that. And, and, and I told mine many times, my job is to make you into a great adult. And so this is adult training we're doing here. You know, this work ethic thing, this grit thing, um, and this savings thing, and this generosity thing. And you teach them to be generous. They're not going to – generosity is a learned skill. It's a muscle you build. And so learn to be generous. Learn to be looking out into the community and how I can be of help and service with absolutely no expectation of return, real generosity, um, and have that as a part of the rhythm of your life. Uh, th those things are taught just like brushing your teeth, just like getting your grades, um, just like, you know, whatever sport they play or whatever they're doing, you know, whatever else. They, but we get so focused on their little – childlike accomplishments that we forget to teach them adult skills age appropriately. That's awesome. So if I could just follow up on that, I do want to come back to the generosity because that's honestly, that's one of my favorite parts of the baby steps, but I want to get right back to that. But just before we do that, can you talk about, do you recommend giving money as an allowance, even at a young age, and then following that up with significantly, I would say more in terms of like money to invest and things like that? Or do you, it's like, how, what's just practically, like, what's your recommendation? Well, the purpose of giving kids money or paying them mm -hmm. for doing something inside the house. We called ours commission. We didn't like the commission. word allowance. We wanted them to feel like they earned it. Commission is you work, you get paid. You don't work, you don't get paid. Okay. And so you didn't earn your commissions because you didn't feed the dog. I had to feed the dog. So that check on the chores chart, you don't get the money. Okay. And I want to make the connection. Money comes from work. Work comes from I want that emotional connection. Again, age appropriately. The purpose of this is not to make the kid rich. Right. Not enough money involved. The purpose is for them to build this muscle and make the emotional connection, the psychological, the spiritual connection between work. And this is, this is part of our faith walk is we work, and we work in service of others. Yep. And then we get paid for that, and we're proud of that, yep. and that's okay. You know? And so all of that ties in. Uh, so, yeah, we, we, didn't, we did do that, and we had some things you do inside the family just because you love your mom. Just like you do some things inside the community that you don't expect return for. But some things you sell your friend something and give money for that, you know, and that's okay too. Both are okay. Sometimes I'm helping and sometimes I'm helping by selling you something and I make money. Both are help and both are fine. Uh, so sometimes you're just cleaning the dishes because you love your mom uh, and some things are on the chore chart and you get paid because I'm teaching you how to be an adult and I want to tie those things together. We'll be right back to this week's episode. But first, we have Shmuel Shiowitz here. We're recording an episode with Dave Ramsey in Nashville in his studio. He is known, he is a guru 
a legitimate guru when it comes to personal finance, but he's not just personal finance. He knows a lot. What have you seen from him? What are his ideas and thoughts as it relates to housing? And what are your thoughts on his thoughts? Yeah, well, that's Dave Ramsey is a legend in his own industry and, and field. And the truth is, you wouldn't think that somebody with his knowledge would even touch upon real estate or a different industry. Um, not only does he do it, I would say he's spot on with what I would think um, mirrors a lot of the sentiments that I have about the housing market, especially in today's environment. So many people are afraid and so many people are concerned housing market's going to crash and what's going to happen. And he was he just did a webinar a couple of months ago, millions of people who came to listen, and I'm sure it'll continue to grow in terms of uh, people who will benefit from it. And he was very candid about what he thought about the housing market. Let me pause by, by saying a lot of people have an agenda. And for some people, they want to sell, um, they want you to use their real estate service, or even me. You know, I, I want people to come and get mortgages for me, no question about it. Mm-hmm. But I think, and what I subscribe so much to in terms of what Dave Ramsey does is, it's information. And, and his objective is to get what he thinks to be prudent and sound, good information into the ears and, and eyes of as many people as possible, which resonates with me tremendously. Specific to housing, he came out and he was saying where everybody's talking about doom and gloom, home prices are going to go down. First thing that he said, which I've been saying for months as well, is it's a very geographical landscape. So what's happening in certain areas may not necessarily be something that's happening nationally or in another area. So it's something for for people to be very mindful of, to know what they're doing, where they're doing it, and the impacts of of the actual um, facts on the ground. Another thing he said was that home prices are going to be stable. Nobody knows for certain. He was quoting national statistics in terms of what people are predicting the housing market may, how it may decline and what the numbers may be. But nobody knows with certainty. But what he was saying is that, first of all, you can always refinance. So in terms of today's concern with so many people who are afraid to get a home because of a interest rate that's in the sixes or in the sevens, his attitude, which we've been saying, is you buy the house and you can refinance at some point in time. Of course, it's important for people to know in advance what refinancing calculations and costs may be. But at the same time, it's invaluable advice because here you are getting into a home rather than paying rent which keeps rising mm-hmm. you're getting into a home and his next point which i couldn't agree with more is that there's a supply and demand issue here there's not enough homes on the market and the demand is still strong home builders are not building homes the way they were decades ago and there's no foreclosures so there's just not that influx of demand. Certainly not, which I've been saying, and I've been quoted in a lot of publications, that when I don't believe we're going to revisit a 2008 crash. Certainly Dave was um, saying exa- that in, exactly. And we think whether or not the housing market may decline again, it's going to be a county by county, state by state, town by town um, situation. But really, it's the demand is so strong for the supply that he wasn't worried, and I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. If you're just discovering Shmuel Shiowitz, he's awesome. Visit approvedfunding.com slash mortgages, whether it comes to refinancing, taking out a mortgage. They're also a direct... Direct lender, mortgage bank. They do it all, and he's awesome. 
He has stories where people that didn't even become clients, he's helped them in dramatic ways. Uh, we'll try to put a link to Dave's webinar so people can actually click on it um, right. in the show notes. And yeah, approved funding. Now back to the compelling interview with Dave Ramsey. If I can just come back to the generosity you were talking about before, one of the things that I think is awesome about the baby steps, which are ostensibly about making you independent and you making you debt-free, meaning the person, and yet the last baby step is just give generously, mm-hmm. give charity, give, 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 which is kind of counterintuitive. And yet, you know, we obviously, the biblical principle, you're able to test the Lord by tithing and exactly. watch the blessing come back. So can you just talk, I mean, you've, again, like one of the things that I love about talking to you is just you've seen so much in terms of how many people that you've counseled and coached and helped. And can you talk about the value of giving and the value of charity and how that plays in sort of counterintuitively into better families, better financial situations? Yeah, it's, um, you know, the Malachi scripture is probably the... uh, the cornerstone of our faiths on the tithing issue regarding tithe, test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, see if I will not uh, throw open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing you cannot contain. And, and so um, that's a bunch of blessing, you know, and, and obviously blessing is not just money, but it is also money. It's both. Sometimes it's health. Sometimes it's, there's all kinds of ways that we get blessings. Uh, and for instance, I, I was talking to an old Baptist preacher that had been preaching for 50 or 60 years, and I actually did a message on tithing, uh, an Old Testament message on tithing, and uh, spoke there that morning. And we got through. He said, yeah. He said, you know, I've been doing this forever. And he goes, I've never had a couple in my church that were tithers get divorced. Mm. And I went, well, is that a spiritual thing or what? He goes, Probably, and it's probably also pretty practical because when you're giving, you're less selfish, and less selfish people make better daddies and mommies and better husbands and wives. And so giving forces the change of your heart from selfish to selfless, and that that forced change that by the activity, the rhythm of giving, the tithe, the rhythm of offerings in addition to the tithe uh, can be random. You know, I'm just paying for somebody's gas at the gas station that looks like they're having a bad day. I mean, whatever it is, right? The rhythm of, of generosity in our life changes us into better people. We're more attractive. More people want to be around generous people. They're more likable. Um, selfish people, they got a smell on them, you know? It's bad. I love how Maimonides says that this idea of giving a tenth away doesn't just apply to your finances, but it applies to your time oh, yes. as well. Which is what you're doing right now. This is like you're uh, tithing your time for us. <laughs> so look at that. Thank I don't you. know if I get credit for that. Thank, you for, setting, <laughs> thank you for setting an example for our audience. I'll <laughs> sign off on that one. Um, let's talk about debt, right? Someone in our community that wasn't fortunate enough, enough to listen to this interview, they've made the mistakes, mm-hmm. right? Now they're they're lo- looking at a home. They're struggling to make those payments. It's too late to go back to that apartment in Queens. What can they do practically, and what can they do emotionally to overcome that? Mm. Well, uh, you you've got to look at the math and say, what have I got to do to make this sustainable? And so let's just. I'm, we'll just make up an example yeah, for purposes ahead. of this. Let's say the, the house payment was 50% of their take-home pay, which is horrible. Okay, that's astronomical. So that something has to change there. Something's going to change there. It's either going to be forced upon you um, or you're going to make a choice 
to do something different. That's not sustainable. Okay, that's going to create problems, and it's going to this house of cards is going to cave in. It, it may take three years, it may take five years, but it's caving in. So something's got to change. So when you look up and you realize that, and you have that, oh man, a goofed up moment. Now what do I do? Okay, first admit there's a problem, and then how are we going to solve this? Okay, so um, there's really only uh, two ways I know to solve that. Uh, one is to cut out a whole bunch of other expenses in the household to make this doable until we can do something better. But you've become what we, by definition, call house poor at that point. You woke up and you said, look what I did to myself, right? And um, uh, then obviously the other side of the equation is the income side of the equation. And so you got to get busy. And there's going to be some, you know, a great side hustle, you know, open a business. Uh, You're going to accelerate something in your career path. You've got to get the income side of the ledger up so that it's no longer 50%. Uh, and it starts to be more tolerable, and there starts to be more and more margin. And and if you look at the situation and you say to yourself, I'm not willing or able to change the income side, um, and I don't know how long you can sustain at 50%, even if you cut out everything else, it's going to be very – you're probably selling this house. Wow. So you've got to get these numbers working and adjust the variables in your life to cause that. And, of course, the other option is to sell the house. And you know, take a take a penalty step back, uh, which I've done in my life. I've done a lot of dumb things in my life, uh, and reap the harvest of it. So uh, you know, you've just got to look at all of that and and say, these are what we're doing. I had a caller on the radio the other day, and she, they said, um, you know, our, our house payment was twenty five percent of our take home pay, like you suggest on a fifteen year mortgage, and uh, then we had another baby, and my wife quit work and came home. Uh oh. And their income went in half. So guess what? That means their dad comes. Ratios now are 50%. And I said, so, okay, what you just said was, I'm choosing to not live in this house anymore because my wife being with home with the kids is more important than owning this house. Because you can't do both. Yeah. You simply can't do both. One of these, unless, unless I'm talking to the gentleman on the air, unless he can get his income up dramatically within a short period of time right. to make it sustainable. But I guess there's three options, right? She she doesn't come home, which she already made the decision. She quit. So she's either got to go back and get another job, or he's got to get his income up, or we're saying we're making the trade for that. And, I, you know, it's not always a bad trade. Sometimes you go, this house is not worth it. It's more important for me to be here with the kids. And, and that that's a personal decision in someone's particular home, and I support that. Um, and, and on the other hand, people just don't realize. Like I had a lady call, and she goes, you know, uh, I've got a $650 van payment to haul the haul the kids around. And i got five kids. i got to have this van. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, but I really want to quit and be home. And I said, so you're trading a van for time to be with your kids. If you want to quit and be home, sell the van, yeah. and you can stay home because that's the only thing in your budget that's keeping you from staying home right now. And so she, but she had never really put it. These two things were kind of separated, and when I put them together in juxtaposition with each other, I went, you, you know, you made the choice of a van over your kids. Yeah, right. The way that's the way she stated it to me, right? <laughs> and I said, so I'm just stating it back to you. So you need to decide which one you. Want. Oh, well, I'm selling the van. Okay, why'd I call you? You know, I'm like, well, that's why you called me. There you go. <laughs> Literally driving herself crazy. Yeah, and, and it's funny because I I wanted to get back to that because I was listening to you on a on a, on a different podcast the other night, 
and one of the things you you were talked about, you know, work life balance, and you talked about how you really, you know, put the pedal to the metal for the first few years of your, you know, of your marriage. And I think that that's sort of a choice that a lot of us are forced into making, both in terms of like what type of job we take and how intense it is, as well as like you said, both spouses working. And that's become like a reality probably for 75, 80 plus percent of our families. Both spouses not only have to work, but have to work pretty intensively if you're going to be making yeah. 250, 300 something thousand dollars a year to make the numbers work. And so how do you see those trade-offs and how, did, how have you seen people successfully manage those trade-offs, especially with big families? Like the work-life balance, it's, it's a real issue for us. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the biggest thing I find when I actually get into it, if you were doing this at work, if you were studying a productivity issue at a, in a job, in a workplace, sure. you would just do a time study. What are you spending your time on? And you write down, okay, or, or you know, use an app or something to log your time and go, oh, well, you're spending this much time driving between meetings. It's completely zero productivity. You know, and so we've got to figure out another way to do this. Or you'd find you'd find the problems in your time. Most of the time, work-life balance is not that I'm working too much. Um, it's that when I'm home, I'm not doing the right stuff. Interesting. Uh, you know, throw a brick through your television. You know, I probably sure. don't need that. You know, just it's it's. I think it's our phones these days. Yeah. It's more yeah. of our and phones than our screen time. Screen, screen time. time of yeah. any kind. You know, it's it sucks the life out of family time. Yeah. And um, and it sets up a bad dopamine rush for the kiddos, sets them up for, you know, they're now getting all their values from TikTok. Lord help us. <laughs> and uh, right. And you know, so you, it's just a problem. So, um, you know, I've noticed this. I, I'm a grandpa now. So the, they come over, Papa Dave, and I'm like, hey, put the phone down. You're four. You know, I'm here. I'm here. Papa Dave's with you. We're going on a walk. We're going outside, you know. And, and so actually being present when you're home. And not still back at work with the screens. Awesome. Uh, that that really helps a lot. And uh, I had a guy tell me too. He said, "Don't use the." Um, it was a marriage class I went to. He said, "Don't use the same sword that you fight all day with on your family when you get home." And he said, "When you park, when you come into the street, stop for thirty seconds at the end of the street and take all the weapons off." And when you get home, the old thing of the like the pioneers set the musket above the mantle until tomorrow. And now I'm Papa Dave when I'm at home with the grandbabies, or I'm my wife's husband when I'm at home. I'm not Dave Ramsey. Because when I get there, nobody cares who Dave Ramsey is. (laughs) That's the real Ramsey headquarters. That's That's the real Ramsey headquarters. That's it. (laughs) Love that. I want to talk about inflation, obviously. When we talk about the costs of an Orthodox Jewish living, it's high. And now when you couple inflation into that, it just gets higher. Sure. What's your message to the audience, the Orthodox Jewish audience or the world, when you come into times like this, when inflation makes things just a bit tougher? Yeah, it it does. And it's just, again, it's frustrating. It's scary maddening there's a lot of negative emotions that you can pour out on this thing um i always go back to what uh sharon and i had to do when there were self-induced problems in our house and there was problems created by our bad decisions instead of someone else's bad decisions which is inflation i didn't cause that one okay um in either case i've got a shortage of money due to my bad decisions or their bad decisions. In this case, it's their bad decisions because we're talking about inflation. But in both cases, it's the same solution. Um, 
you know, it could be I lost a jo- someone lost a job, and so their income is way down. Same thing. What what happens when the budget gets tight is it forces us in any of those scenarios to prioritize very clearly and very carefully. This is first. Period. Oh, and we've still got money. This is second. Period. Oh, and we've still got money. And so in our house, it's giving is first, our, our tithe. In our house, second is food. We're going to buy food. We can get by with not paying a lot of other things as long as we eat first. So we can eat. The third thing we're going to do is we're going to pay the utilities. Period. Because if we're warm and we, we're full, then we live to fight another day. You know, and then we're going to keep the uh, the roof over our head. We're going to pay the rent or the mortgage if there is one, right? Um, so now we got food, shelter, clothing. You know, the basic civics class, right? And I'm walking all the way down, and by the, you know, that, those are fairly straightforward. And you go, yeah, 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 yeah. But when it gets down to, uh, I got to do this or not that, some of those things down the list are a little bit more painful, and the the heat, the light that shines on those with a more intensity because of the tighter budget really starts making you decide who you really are. And you say, okay, we're doing, we're doing the private schools. We're doing it. It is so important. It's so central to our faith. It's so central that our kids have that kind of training, that kind of upbringing versus the outside influence. It's so central that we're not buying that car. We just made a difficult choice, but we know which one's first. If I got to choose between the two and you just walk right down. And if I could only do one more thing, and if I can only do one more thing, and if I can only do one more thing. And what happens is that inflation or the loss of a job or a tight budget for whatever reason forces us further down the list to really get clear on who we are and what really is important. That's awesome. We'll be right back to this week's episode with Dave Ramsey in Tennessee. But first... Let's make our way to Israel. I want to tell you about Kol El Chabad, an organization near and dear to our hearts here at Living L'Chaim's Kosher Money. The name Kol Chabad has been around for the last 234 years, and this nonprofit provides food for Israel's neediest, regardless of age, gender, marital status, religious observance, ethnicity. They help everyone, together with the Israeli government, Kolo Chabad helps feed families, give them the support they need. Uh, families have sick children, sick, spou- uh, sick spouses. They're there. Every dollar goes a long way. And now for a limited time, the dollar you donate has been agreed to by a matcher to quadruple that dollar. So if you give $5, a matcher will give $20. And that's for a limited time. So if you have within your heart, if you have some spare dollars, please visit kolochabad.org slash kosher money. The link's in the show notes and give generously. Again, every dollar will be quadrupled for a limited time and the money goes a long way. So many people are depending on you. And oh, by the way, a lot of people have asked, why is Kolochabad using their hard-earned money to sponsor a podcast? They're not. This has been sponsored by an anonymous donor out in California, and he believes in what Kosher Money's doing, but more importantly, he believes in what Kol Chabad does. So he wants to spread the good word and fund this so that more people can donate, and it really goes a long way. So thank you so much for all those who donated. A dollar helps, a hundred dollars, whatever you can do. You can even do a recurring donation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Kol Chabad needs you. And now back to this week's episode. 
Um, so, you know, I'd like to sort of shift tax a little bit. You know, we talked about the importance of really making a lot of money sort of from, from our perspective just to, to balance a budget. And so I'm curious to know from your perspective a couple questions. So first of all, college today versus somebody who doesn't go to college. When somebody's 18, 19, they're making for- decisions in their formative years that are really going to have massive impacts on the rest of their life. And yet you see people that are wildly successful that have gone to college and people that are wildly successful that haven't gone to college. In your experience, what is the sort of, what are some of the, sort of the determinative factors of people making decisions of what type of educational paths, et cetera, that they should pursue to try to get the best career outcome? Well, what is mandatory to success is a lifetime of continual learning. Whether it takes the form of four years of formal academics is is irrelevant. You are going, you know, so you hear so-and-so, you know, uh, the guy that started Wendy's graduated only from high school, Dave Thomas, right? Uh, and so he's a success in spite of not going to college at all. Massive success, right? Uh, but eh, he also has a Ph.D. in life. And he also read a bazillion books. And he also continually went to conferences and studied business. His business acumen was far greater than someone with an MBA. Uh, and so it wasn't that he was uh, untrained or had not, been, had not learned, uh, did not put those academic tools in his belt. He, they were there. They just got there a different way and uh, in a different process. And so when we're interviewing people, for instance, to come to work at Ramsey as a leader, and I say, you know, what's the latest book you've read on business or leadership? And they go, I don't know, interview's over. I mean, I need to hear, I need to, you need to tell me what you've been reading right now. <laughs> you know, wow. you gotta be, you gotta be learning. Cause you're, you know, if the last time you got any learning was in college, you're, you're not doing anything, <laughs> right? So, um, uh, yeah. so college, I, I, I'm a huge fan of a four-year degree if you're going, for instance, into business, uh, marketing, communications, uh, a business degree, uh, because that's an actual, I use the stuff I went to school 40 years ago, and I use the statistics class, the accounting class, every day, running Ramsey to this day. And not knowing anything about accounting would make it hard to run an operation this size. You know, and so, and I've furthered my education in those areas. I've learned more about statistics, more about research technique, as an example, since leaving there. But the original three statistics classes that were part of the syllabus for me to graduate uh, set the stage uh, that just a high school ed would not have done. I could have gotten it outside of there, like I described with Dave Thomas, but but so I'm a fan of that. What I'm not a fan of, and I think most of America has woken up to now, is this idea that you have to have a degree to succeed. Absolutely not true. And that leads you then to getting a degree in something dumb, like you get a degree in left-handed puppetry, you know, and um, th- there's just no job for this, right? And so... Ellie, that's your degree. Right? Yeah, you're not pointing <laughs> so, out that I'm a I'm lefty. Sorry, like I just... Unrelated to this episode, but go ahead, Dave. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, useless degrees. Yeah. Uh, we've led ourselves into these nuanced things that there's there's three people on the planet that do that, and they're all professors, you know. And so the only way you're going to make a living doing this is going to get your Ph.D. in German polka history, right? And so because no one else cares, and um, so that that's the thing you want to avoid. So as a, as a dad, what I did with our three, I said, yeah, I think education's important, and uh, let's take something that's general enough that it doesn't define you but it does inform you. 
And so I've got one that has a degree in child and family studies and is a mom and runs our, uh, our ministry, our, our philanthropic giving, the Ramsey Family Foundation. I've got one that has a business degree, and he's one of our top executives here at Ramsey. And then Rachel Cruz has a communications degree, oddly enough, <laughs> and uh, is one of our speakers and writers and teachers. So they've all, you know, but, but they, their, their uh, education did not stop when they left university. It just started. In, in their given fields and in where they were going. And I think that's the mistake people make is they think that if I get a degree of any kind, it's going to give me an up. No, no. All you do is spend some money for something useless. <laughs> if I, if I uh, get a degree that's useless and, uh, and if I get a degree of something that's useful, then automatically at least. No, it's just an element of success. There's so much more to becoming successful th- than just knowledge. We all know a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge who have done nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so let's just take the next step in that. How would you, you know, again, come leaning back on your experience here for a minute, you've seen people that have been successful as in, in careers and seen, seen people that have been successful as entrepreneurs. How do you sort of define the profile of what makes somebody successful, you know, sort of as a worker or, or an executive versus somebody starting their own business? Like, how do you see that? I, I, I don't think they're different. Um, uh, we, we have this idea that somehow the entrepreneur is mystical or something. Um, uh, they're not, they just understand who the customer is. Sometimes someone in a career doesn't understand who the customer is. And, um, again, our mutual friend rabbi points this out. If you work for another company, you are self-employed, but you have one customer <laughs> and that's who you work for. You have to make that customer happy. And sometimes they don't, you, you forget that when you're on payroll, you know? Exactly. Sometimes, and it's much cleaner when you're out there and having a conversation with the marketplace, and the marketplace is going, you're not really good at that. We're not giving you any money. Or the marketplace goes, well, you're really good at that. We're going to give you a lot of money because you helped us a lot. And, uh, and so the entrepreneur, we've got one of the sayings on the wall around here, one of our values is if you help enough people, you don't have to worry about money. And because they will give you money it, it, for helping them, they're not they're not mad about it. If you get a great service at a restaurant, you you give a great tip. I mean, that's how it is. It's easy. It's easy. Uh, entrepreneurs are really dialed into that emotionally, and the the beauty of owning your own business uh, and the beauty of teaching a kid. We're talking about that earlier to run their own thing. Is they have this natural conversation with the marketplace. They have to be of value. Yes. And sometimes when you're on salary, you forget you have to be of value. Yeah, 100%. What's so enjoyable to listen to you and and your episodes on YouTube and the radio shows while I'm driving is that you seem to be following a blueprint, right? It's it's not like I'm driving and you veer off your your uh your road. You you're consistent with your feedback. For someone watching now that has never heard of Dave Ramsey and they want to learn more about it. They want to purchase a couple of books that maybe you or Rachel has written to just get started? You know, maybe it's the baby step book. What would you recommend? How can they consume more of you so that they can get that PhD in life, get that PhD in money? Well, I mean, there's a bazillion hours on YouTube and on podcast. Uh, We've got a billion 
downloads now wow. on wow. a podcast. It blows my mind. So, and that's all free. You can't be free, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, you can sample there and go, this guy's crazy. I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> right. Or you can go, hey, I want to know more. And, um, you know, then uh, folks go through, uh, they'll pick up the Total Money Makeover book is the book walking you through the baby steps. And the, uh, the baby steps, be very clear, are uh, a process of implementing the biblical principles. The baby steps themselves, we do not claim are biblical. Dave invented those, okay? Yeah. Dave's not God. And so, but they're, they're informed by the borrower slave to the lender. They're informed by, I need to be on a budget. I need a plan. The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And so I need to be a person of vision. I need to, you know, in my money. And so they're informed, those principles inform the process. And then we broke it down into an order because people kept asking, okay, what do you do first? What do you do next? What right. do you do next? And that's what the Total Money Makeover book's about. It's about 10 million copies or so. So, uh-huh. so yeah, you, you can pick that up. Um, the, the follow-up book is the Baby Steps Millionaire book that I just did showing that you can be a millionaire in America today and here's what you do and, and, you, you know, uh, and here's the process that millionaires use because we've studied them in detail with airtight research. And so uh, those kinds of things. And then Financial Peace University is the uh, nine-week class uh, that, that about 10 million folks have been through. We've been teaching that for ever and ever and ever and ever. And uh, uh, warning, that is taught from a, uh, a Christian perspective. Disclaimer, I guess, yeah. is a better way of saying <laughs> it. Uh, but we have folks from uh, Lots of faiths that go through it and are not offended unless they choose to be. Mm. So, yeah. it, so there's something there's something to learn there. But you probably hear me say Jesus in there. So <laughs> just be warned. Yeah. You, you just said it in here too. I think that's the first time somebody said that in kosher money. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, Leave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's actually really interesting. You talked about Financial Peace University, and I want to I want to see if we can end this on a on a on a high note. Um, or at least on, a, on an encouraging note, um, one, of, one of the things that I've heard you say is you were giving Financial Peace University at the end of like a 15-hour day, you would run across the street to a, ho- you know, to a motel or a hotel, and you have your overhead projector there giving Financial Peace University just sort of to keep the lights on in those years when you were really mm-hmm. just trying to getting started. And I think that there's a lot of people, especially financially, we talked about the relationship with financial and, you know, financial situation and mental health. And there's a lot of people that feel like it's hopeless and they're sort of like at the bottom Mm -hmm. and they're really struggling sort of to to climb their way out. Can you just end with some encouragement for people? Because you've seen so many people climb out. Like, end, end us on a positive note here. I think when we lose our hope in the money space, um, including I was there when I went bankrupt many years ago, uh, what we have a tendency to do is we get so focused on the moment that's horrible. This particular moment in time is horrible. And then we say, that's the way it's always going to be. We project that into the future in our minds because we're all little drama queens, you know? And so we say this hopeless moment is the way it's always going to be. And you know, what, old people like me have figured out is that uh, life is not a snapshot, it's a film strip. So the next frame is going to be different than this frame in the film strip. It's either going to get worse or it's going to get better, but it's not going to be the same. It's either going down further or it's going to start going up. But there's going to be a change frame to 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 frame. And so I I was sitting, I remember watching this happen in front of me in a small group in Financial Peace University 25 years ago. I had a single mom in there. She's working three jobs. She's scared to death. She's crying. 
it's just tight. It's awful. Her life's just bad. Her husband had been killed in a car wreck. She was a widow. And so I'm just like, how can I help this? And I'm like, what do you do? And she's like, well, I'm a, I, I, I cut hair for a living. And um, this grizzled old lady across the circle here looks at her and she says, yeah, now you do. I was you, though. I'm 55. You're 25. I own the shop now. And the rest of the girls work for me that cut hair. And I've got a half million dollars in mutual funds, and I was exactly where you are. My husband divorced me and left me with three kids, and I was cutting hair, and I was working three jobs when I was 25. So she gave her perspective is what she did. This is a film strip. There's an end to the story. You're not at the end. You're in the story right now. And that's where hopelessness comes from. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it is the tree of life. And that's when you pan back. And you get perspective on the whole thing. You know, when I went bankrupt, if I thought that was all there ever was, I would still be sitting there whining about that today. Mm-hmm. And that was 30-something years ago now. And instead, it didn't define me. It just changed the trajectory and smacked me in the back of the head and taught me, you know, this, you're not doing well. You're not smart. You're not a smart hillbilly. You need to change this. And so I had to change it and um, had to learn some things I didn't know because what I was doing wasn't working. And, uh, you know, the end of the story is a whole lot better. This 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 chapter in the story, this this act in the story is a whole lot better than that than the the tragic turn of events back there, and, and so if you're hopeless and you're out there, it's a moment. If you make the changes so that you don't stay there, amazing. So change, amazing. What I love about the film strip analogy is, the the film strips of old sometimes it takes time to develop. So when you look back ten twenty years at an old strip, it's just coming through. You're you're, you're getting a clearer vision of how that all tied into the eventual long strip. I had no idea where this was going to end up. If I hadn't gone through that, I would just own a bunch of lower-income real estate. (laughs) I would have been nothing. Right, amazing. (laughs) Right. Dave Ramsey, in Hebrew we call him David Ramsey. I love it. (laughs) Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. This has been great, and hopefully we'll come back and do the uh, 10-year anniversary of this interview with you and building twice the size. I love it. Let's do it. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to our newest episode of Kosher Money. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe on YouTube. You can follow us there. And we're also on every leading platform when it comes to podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, some unique ones out there. Leave a comment on YouTube. Tell us what you loved, what you want to hear. We love feedback. And we're excited about our most recent collaboration with Mishpacha magazine. We're teaming up with this leading Orthodox Jewish magazine to share more insights into our guests, the topics. We're going to have a piece on an upcoming magazine on Dave Ramsey. So we're going to try to get some more content, exclusive content that is only available on mishpacha.com or in the magazine. We're going to have actions and takeaways, and it's just another way to consume kosher money. So we're very excited about that, and we have some other things in the pipeline with our friends at Mishpacha. If you need financial resources, you need guidance, team up with livingsmarterjewish.org, links in the show notes, and get the help you need. There's no shame in that. People are reaching out for coaching advice, um, advice on life insurance, health insurance. They have a lot of free resources to help you achieve the financial freedom that Dave Ramsey says 
is available to anyone who seeks it out. Thank you to our sponsors, ApprovedFunding.com, your home for all things mortgages. Kolel Chabad, please support Israel's neediest, kolelchabad.org slash kosher money. And again, our newest sponsor, Infinity Land Services. Title without the stories. Tell them your friends at Kosher Money sent you. Visit ilstitle.com. We love feedback and guest suggestions. So my brother Yaakov created a website called livinglechaim.com. You can click on there, visit the suggestion tab, and tell us what you love, tell us what you don't love, tell us what you want to hear, tell us what you don't want to hear. We want feedback. And my brother Yaakov throws up the craziest, most awesome videos on Living Lechaim's TikTok, Instagram. We're on practically every channel. Would you say not, Yaakov? There you go. So our thanks to our friends at Dave Ramsey Headquarters. We couldn't have made this possible without you. And to our friend Rabbi Daniel Lappin over in South Africa. But he's moved to the States. He made this magic happen. And we cannot thank you enough, Rabbi Lappin. I think we covered our sponsored. We covered our thanks. We're thankful to Hashem, our God, for making this a reality. Until next week, keep your money kosher. Living L'chaim.